1: morning and welcome to Autism Live. Gosh, I'm so excited. It's Wednesday and we have Dr. Doreen Grampuche here with us this morning. So that makes it a red letter day. Plus we've got a great Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy plan for you. We're going to be with you live for the next two hours covering autism from a 360 degree perspective. We've got a lot of ground that we're going to cover. uh, and, And I'm already ahead of myself. I haven't said to you that we're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. But as I was saying, we're going to be live for the next two hours, and we intend for this time with you to be interactive. We love to hear from you, we love to talk to you, we love to hear your questions, your comments, and, uh, and everything else that you have going on. So, Traven's gonna show you some of the different ways that you can connect with us here on the show, while I remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. Now, when you go there, it's gonna look a lot different than it used to look. We've got a brand new website, and you guys are writing in wonderful comments about that. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's infinitely more searchable there. Um, but a lot of the old good things are still there. They just have moved around a little bit. So, at the top of the page, You'll see that when we are live, it says live, and there is a red button. If it doesn't automatically open up on your screen, if you click on it, it will open up and you'll be able to watch the show, but you'll be able to see it in a bigger format than you used to be able to see it. Because now, all that room for the chat doesn't take up that space, but we haven't done away with the chat. It's at the bottom of the page. It just is something you have to click to open. If you click on where it says chat, it opens up the box, and now you can write longer things than you used to be able to do. It's still free. It's still anonymous. We do encourage you always to put as much information as you feel is relevant and include what the biggest major city is close to you so that we have an idea of what resources might be available to you. Again, that is free and anonymous, but there are lots of other ways that you can connect with us and Traven is showing you a lot of those different ways. We love hearing from you on Facebook and YouTube and iTunes and Twitter and Periscope, all those ways. We love to hear uh, your questions and comments, and we try to answer as many of them as we can. Please understand that there, at this point, we, so many of you write to us, and we love that. We can't always get to all of the questions, um, but if you are persistent, if you write in the question this week and next week, a lot of times I will catch that and say, this person is being persistent, and I will find a way to get your question answered one way or the other on the show or off, um, and we do appreciate you participating with us. So we've got so much planned. Let me just say that a little bit later on on the show today, uh, we have a great individual, uh, Nicholas Marks, who is a research assistant here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. This is a new segment on the show where we have a research person come and explain recent research developments in a way that we can understand them and that is relevant. Because you know, sometimes you see a study and you go, I don't know if that was done well. I don't really know. You, you read the headline, but often the headline doesn't tell you what it's really about. But so Nicholas Marks is going to be with us a little bit later on. We have Mark Hildreth, who's going to with us from paradise exteriors talking about some fundraising uh events that he has had going on for um various autism charities uh so that's going to be really wonderful but the thing i'm so ex- especially excited about daniel share strom and maxine share are going to be with us a little bit later on i have been following daniel um He is an individual from Canada who's been doing some amazing things, has some amazing things to say. I'm so excited that they're going to be on the show later on. But first, but first, my friends, uh, we are going to get to have the wonderful and fabulous Dr. Doreen Grampiche here with us live in the studio for Ask Dr. Doreen, answering your questions. And I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get right to it. It's time for Ask
2: Dr. Doreen.
3: Dr.
1: Doreen
2: Grandchet ed- is Dr. Doreen is an expert Small in. Doreen Dr.
1: Grand Pichet. Dr. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet. <laughs> um, Dr. Doreen Grandpachet oh, is a life visionary in class. There is a kick in her You
3: can ask for questions.
1: ask Dr. Doreen.
4: I adore her.
1: Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet and so excited to be here with it's you this so morning. so nice
5: to be back.
1: I am thrilled that you're here. I, I miss you when you're not here because you you're a light much. in my life and in so Thank many other you people's so lives. Thank you so uh, much. And you shed light on things. You're Thank like you. are
5: lighthouse.
1: That's <laughs> what I'm going to think of you from now on. Um, but for those of you who are just joining us and have never... Um, And we have a lot of new viewers recently. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Um, Dr. Dorian Grampuche is a true expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism. She's been in this field for way many more years than she should admit to. What what crazy number is it now? 40,
5: yeah. I, mean, 40. I started in 78. It's crazy how fast 40 years goes by. You know? Right? Yeah. Oh,
1: man, yeah. don't I know that. Um, because it, doesn't it feel like if you're talking about something that happened 40 years ago, it be, should be something your grandmother knows I, about and you weren't here I, for? Like, but wait, to have adult memories? I was like... Even at UCLA 40 years ago, it's pretty crazy. That's insane. I can always remember my grandmother saying, a doctor would come into the room with her, and she would say, I have dresses older than you. And I would (laughs) think, that's a crazy, weird thing to say. And now I have dresses older than some of our viewers. Honestly. So um, there we are. But Dr. Granboucher, in that 40-year time span, has been treating individuals on the autism spectrum from very young babies up through adults and senior citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has been a champion for individuals on the spectrum, having them be treated as whole individuals um, and, and get all the things that they should be afforded to be able to lead the full and productive lives that they choose to lead. Absolutely, She has been somebody who has championed the families and the... Dif- and. And called out the difficult things that families have to overcome, right. and been a visionary for seeing down the road how insurance would come into play. Never, never thought that would happen, but it's beautiful to live through that. Well, yeah. and uh, you know, and I continue to applaud the fact that in all of that, you keep asking the important questions about what is the best for this individual?
5: Absolutely. Not yeah. just the community, Absolutely.
1: but the individual, and what, is, what does this family need to make that happen and to support them, uh, and I, I just wanna thank you on behalf of all those people
5: for being that person. Thank you very much, Shannon, and thank you very much for helping us continue that tradition, I guess, or that, that perspective throughout CARD.
1: Well, I as well. I, heaven knows, I... I enjoy the opportunity Thank you. that Card affords me to do that on a regular basis. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, mutual admiration society <laughs> aside, uh, Dr. Puchet likes to come here whenever she can and spend an hour answering questions that you guys have written in. We do need to give the disclaimer at the start of this that there is no individual in any format and any expertise who can give individual specific advice in this particular forum because they don't have an opportunity to meet the mm-hmm. individual, observe them, so on and so forth. Right. So having said that, Dr. Grampy-Shea is going to questions in a general nature giving you information that she is aware of uh, from her 40 years in this field and hopefully that will help you to make decisions in which path you go down next and and really to help you that when you are sitting with the expert that is in your life that you will get to the information you ask need quicker. the right questions. That's yes because right. a- I firmly believe that knowing what question to ask is often the main Thing that achieves success that's a good point that's a good you know point. Um, and and uh, for, those, for the families watching, and it, when it's not your question being asked, sometimes you learn more from somebody else's question because you go, I didn't even know that was a question. I don't, I don't even know what that question means because you haven't seen it yet or you didn't know about it. So in any case, that's the disclaimer. So I'm going to jump right in here. We sure. had a question that came in this morning. Uh, this uh, individual writes in and says, my daughter is five years old, nonverbal. We are doing ABA for the past two years. She uses prolo quo to go my question is how to teach her reading do you have any method or curriculum to follow i have heard edmark curriculum is good for asd kid but how reading works for a nonverbal child please help yeah so uh
5: edmark is terrific it's a good program but it this is a pretty complicated question so you know you generally are um, There's too many steps for me to try to give you a single reading program. It's I think important to uh, maybe the best place to start for you would be to go to skills actually because um, we do break it down and we start with you know the child might actually not even recognize letters not be able to uh enunciate the sounds of letters i don't know and then there are of course children who are uh, extremely good at that and so they're already teaching themselves to read so i i don't know uh, given your child's background or skills where your child would be entering a reading program so My recommendation is to go into skills. There's a whole section in our academic uh, curriculum on reading. And basically, the process is uh, some of the kids will learn a lot faster just going on sight reading. And then they develop the phonetics and so on. And other children learn the typical way of going letter by letter uh, phonetics and then establishing a connection between words and objects, and then uh, starting to read that way the important thing I think the only to so go on skills first can we, of all. T- I, we don't yes. have my tent yes. I gotta ask yes. Eliana for a new tent but can we just stop for a second and say what skills is yes skills, yes. skills is an amazing tool absolutely uh, skills is a uh, I don't even know what to call skills it's a program it's a platform that we developed it's an online platform that we developed over the course of the past 20 years and maybe even longer. And what it started out as was um, many, many years ago, I decided that it would be important for me to write down all the lessons that we teach our children, um, Any everything that we teach. So not the procedures, but the content. So for instance, how do I teach a child? Wh- wh- how, what is the content of teaching a child to speak? to uh, communicate their needs, to play with other children, uh, to pay attention, to, uh, you know, do what they're expected to do in class, to uh, socialize with other kids, y- you name it. Like, yeah. And so we r- started writing out all these lessons, and then we realized that the lessons fall under different categories. So we started to categorize them, and the categories ended up being language, play, social behavior, cognitive behavior, executive functions, uh, adaptive skills, academic skills, and motor skills, eight specific areas. And uh, once we classified them that way, we then went ahead and decided to uh, look at uh, uh, developmental uh, goals and tests, and also IQ tests, and all kinds of Measures that help us identify exactly what a child should be doing at every age So at the age of one you're supposed to have the following skills at two the following skills and so on and so forth And so we added to our curriculum and and it turned into a pretty intensive and massive curriculum uh, specifically below the age of eight it ended up being roughly four and a half thousand lessons And then we said, okay, these lessons, um, so let's say one lesson would be uh, identifying objects, right? And so if you can imagine, there's thousands and thousands of objects. And so then we went in and detailed each lesson and said, okay, uh, you know, what are, these are called operants or exemplars. And we basically listed all the different exemplars that you can teach, colors would be, you know, red, green, blue, yellow, etc. Objects would be every object, name, and so on. And so it became this massive platform. By the time we finished writing it, uh, technology had advanced to the point where we could put this online. We put it online, and then I uh, became a little concerned because I thought every Parent or teacher will now think they have to teach everything you remember right. that yes. phase oh, yes. Where I was like, okay, this is like way too much and every parent is now going to try to teach their child 4500 lessons, right. which is where not where, what I want to do. Yeah. Right. So then we spent another few years developing an assessment tool which was a lot of work and that Assessment tool was basically a series of questions and the questions you would ask Uh, the parent of a child, does your child know how to identify pen? Does your child know the colors? Et cetera, et cetera. And the parent would say yes or no, and anything they said yes would go into sort of a pool of skills that the child already has. Anything they said no to would go to, would link to a lesson. And by doing this, we were able to, and then we validated that assessment tool. And then, so by doing this, we were able to produce a really accurate profile of the child. And these are all the things the child needs to catch up on. Yeah. So, uh, skills then became these two components, which one was the assessment of the child, and the second one was the curriculum that's appropriate for the child. And then we said, okay, well, we now need to measure how the child... Of course, in the meantime, we developed a whole different thing called IBT, which is the Institutes for Behavior Training, which is the techniques. Because once I put skills out, I realized that parents are not going to know how to teach this stuff, so we need the techniques. That became a whole different platform called Institutes for Behavior Training, which you can access as well and has training for how to teach things using ABA. But, in the meantime, we then decided, Skills needs to also be able to track a child's progress. So we then, uh, developed some platforms that are called, that are on the iPad for tracking or inputting data, so that when I teach a child, uh, the colors, let's say, I'm able to track that he's mastered yellow, he's mastered blue, he's mastered red, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so now, Skills also provides these, Uh, like a very nice summary of the data and also lots of graphs showing the child's rate of acquisition so how fast is the child learning and then I won't bore you with all the details after that but now (laughs) the whole value of skills has now for me become the data that we collect because we have tens of thousands of kids uh, putting data on skills all the time and now we're able to capture things about autism that nobody else can so like how fast kids learn how fast kids learn who are on a specific medication what subtypes of autism there are etc etc now um right now what i'm suggesting to this particular viewer is that you should go on skills um in fact i recommend to every viewer that you should do the assessment on skills because it really helps identify where you need to focus you know most of our kids are very young when they're starting and we only have a few years like this child is five years old and he's already been uh, or she's already been in ABA for two years so it's important to focus on the things that are the most important so that you're not wasting a whole lot of time you you know none of our kids can afford the time so going on skills answering the assessment questions helps you focus Secondly, though, for parents who really just want to kind of learn about one thing or another, like reading, uh, if you go on skills and you access the academic curriculum, you will see a section for reading and you'll see uh, a whole bunch of uh, direction on, you know, specific sub-skills. Each of these lessons are broken down immensely, so it'll give you more detail than you ever hoped for and it will help you identify exactly how you will teach your child a reading program because it differs based on where your child enters. Can I pause Long and just. Answer? Con-
1: well, but can, I, can like- I consolidate that down? Because you know me, I'm always yes, the, like, please, let, please, let me please, translate. Yeah. And so, what I want you to think of for skills, and Traven, um, somewhere you have the skills address at skillsforautism.com, and you probably even have the phone number and the TriCaster there. Um, but skills, picture a toolkit. That's what skills is it's a toolkit so you open up the toolkit a toolkit for autism and there are many tools in the toolkit when you open up a toolkit you don't attempt to use all the tools at the same time right you pull one tool out because it's the tool that you need you say what i need to do right now is x so this is a whole toolkit and if you need to know lessons to teach your child, lessons are in there. If you need to know where to start, there's a way to assess, to see, uh, you answer questions, and it tells you you can start here, here, or here, and you can choose, right? If, you, if your child is having behaviors and you don't know what to do about it, there's a tool for that. If you want to go to your IEP and you want to be able to tell them these are the lessons that are appropriate for my child that they should be working on, there's a tool for that it's full of tools Mm -hmm. so there's something for everybody in it and it really is meant for absolutely anybody to be able to use it. You can use it high level or use it if you barely know anything. So if you are uh, an ABA practitioner and you have your own business and you want to streamline how you do things and make sure that you're doing them as science based as possible, skills is a great toolkit for you and you can use it high level to treat your kids and track their progress. If you are a parent who just needs to know where is my kid? And you can't get in a professional to tell you, I always say, like, the mall has a map that says you are here, right, so that you can gauge where do I need to get from. Skills is the only thing that I am aware of that gives a parent the opportunity to be able to do that on their own, on their own time. And the investment of doing the assessment where you answer questions about your kid, I can, I, I can tell you. like it is an investment in time it takes you a while to do it but knowing where your kid is so that you can talk to your ABA team you can talk to your in-laws and you can talk to the school about here's where we are and here's where we're trying to get oh I can hear the angels sing (laughs) in any case so skillsforautism.com toolkit for autism that's my short version That's of all right. the amazing things you just said. <laughs> Thank <So> you. <laughs> Thanks for summarizing that. I needed that. In any case, so hopefully that, but there are all kinds of lessons for this mom. Right. About reading, but about everything, the problem That parents have is we go, Well, I want to teach reading, so we start with reading. Right. And we don't know what the prerequisites are. Right. When you go to college and you go, There's the class that I want to take, and it says prerequisites, this, this, and this. You cannot take this class until you have taken these other classes. (laughs) That's what skills does for you with autism. Exactly. You go, I want to teach reading. Here are the prerequisites for reading. Exactly. Because before they can read, they have to be able to sit and attend. That's right. They have to have a certain amount of attention to be able to do it, and
5: then you go to that lesson. And they have to know. You know, letters and sounds and so on and so forth. yeah, and the key the one thing I wanted to say before I forget about reading is, you know, once you've gotten into reading and your child, it, I see that your child is nonverbal, you mentioned, and that means that you are trying to teach reading perhaps for the purposes of communication, which is really important. And uh, there's also sections about that. so nonverbal communication on skills. But uh, the thing I wanted to say is that reading, um, in the sense that we read so the way that like w- it's going to be two different things for your child so using w- letters to communicate is not necessarily going to equate to the ability to read um, for some of our kids they use letters to, uh, to communicate on protocol for instance or on any other program Um, And or they keyboard, right? Keyboarding and expressing yourself using letters is a very different skill than reading. Um, And reading, I find often with our kids, um, even if a child can read, they have a different level of difficulty in terms of reading comprehension which is a different skill altogether so separate all of these don't expect your child just because they learn a few letters to read and comprehend and all these others and and use letters to communicate if your focus is to using letters to communicate focus on that and that's a whole different section called keyboarding okay so that's a lot to throw at you all at once but want
1: to remind folks go to skills for autism uh, dot com, the number for autism.com um, to find out more information about doing skills. There's a 14-day free trial yep. um, that you can sign up for and try it out. Um, and then call your friends over at Skills when you're ready to purchase it full time and tell them that you want the friends and family plan from Shannon. There's a discount that you get from having watched at Autism Live. So make sure you get that. And, um, and let them know where you heard about it, right? That's how you get that, that right. discount. So in any case, we're gonna take a short break and then we're gonna come back to answer more of your questions. Before we go to break, I just wanna say that Chris is watching and she's getting ready to start with uh, skills. Oh, They're great. starting ABA and, and she's got uh, an orientation. Uh, set to go but Chris uh, you get to have an orientation with me too now so let's plan on that when that gets to happen and then uh, Rosie said hello too as well and we've got more of you that we'll get to in a little while but we're going to take a break we'll be back with more of your questions after these messages stick with us
6: do you provide care services to someone with autism recently more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows but what happens to these children as they grow up It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the surface's cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life including self-control, planning, and problem solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, Behavior Intervention Plan Builder and Automatic Progress Reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living Wish. Learn. Become.
1: Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique these are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs so we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs come on
2: my name is molly rarick and i'm founder of reed's gift we're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs like chase here uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo valley santa barbara and la our
1: main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life.
7: My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have uh, passions about what they wanna make and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses.
1: We are here today because um, I my goal is to be independent and also I would like to share all my artwork and I would like to sell.
8: Thinking about at uh, his young age being a businessman, you know, it's, it's amazing. I cannot be more proud.
1: Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampuche and she's answering your questions in real time. Uh, So we have another question that came in. I have a three-year-old boy who has just been diagnosed with autism. He's very hyper. Is there anything I can do to help him to decrease this
5: down? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's hard. That's another one of those where I have to kind of exercise some caution in my response because I... it's uh, when, when we say someone is hyper, it's a subjective type yeah. of thing. So uh, y- there's levels of hyperactivity, first of all. So what you could be describing as hyper, uh, to me, might not even be really... I mean, I have parents coming in where they're like, I swear my child should get a diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity. Disorder and I will sit and do a full diagnostic and they don't qualify at all I mean and then there are children where the parent comes in and says I don't know what's wrong help me and I The child clicks every single box in the ADHD category, right? So I can't really I don't know what it means when when a parent says he is hyper But assuming that what you're noticing is just that the child is has a higher activity level than most other children around Mm -hmm. him I would suggest that a couple of different things. One is, I would really suggest you see a psychologist um, who can help, first of all, rule out or diagnose ADHD, right? So let's figure out if your child actually has hyperactivity disorder, right? In which case, the treatments of choice are medication plus therapy, Um, and that is, important to note because it, there are some cases and I've met a few kids like this where the hyperactivity level is so high that there is no point in even trying to sit the child down and teach them something and as a result the child falls behind there's absolutely nothing else wrong with the child's ability to learn but they're they're on a completely different speed and so uh, it just becomes very, very hard for the child to learn anything because the world is just too slow. I mean, imagine, I always tell people, you know, I try very hard to understand what are my kids, no matter what their diagnosis, what they're going through. And if you could just, um, as an example, uh, just one, for one hour, not even for one hour, for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. just run. Don't ever walk. Don't stop just run and see what you uh, receive yeah. from your environment if you're running, right? If your speed, if your physical speed is higher, yeah. what are you receiving? And it's a very different thing oh, than yeah. if you are sitting, standing, paying attention, etc. And so uh, a lot of kids do fall behind because they are physically hyperactive, and so it becomes very important to slow them down with medication. And then when they're slowed down, you start to teach the child Uh, techniques and so on to self-regulate and to keep themselves kind of regulated. So that is one thing. The other thing is if the child, uh, then there's, on the other side of the spectrum of hyperactivity, you also could have children who are affected by various things that just make them slightly hyper. For instance, the foods they eat. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids are hyper when they have taken in sugar. A lot of kids are hyper when they're eating something that they really can't digest or they're, Allergic to a lot of kids react to food coloring uh, There's or pesticides a, uh, pesticides. Now. There's a lot of stuff that kids react to so I would really suggest that you get a clear Understanding of what the child is able to digest if they have any allergies um, and definitely keep away from the the, the usual culprits which are sugar and of course red food coloring those are the two main that are, uh, pretty much everybody reacts to of course anything that's caffeinated etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. so those are that's another thing to look at another area to look at is the child's sleep is the child getting enough sleep when children don't get sleep instead of getting tired right off the bat they first become pretty hyper um, the other thing is to look at stimuli in the environment like some of our kids react to certain lights certain sounds, um, environments that are chaotic can make a child hyper. There's a lot of things to analyze there. And so I think the first step for you is to, uh, just like we do with everything else in behavior analysis, figure out the function. Why, what's causing the hyperactivity? Uh, Is it a chemical imbalance? Is it a reaction to a dietary factor? Is it a sleep related? Is it environmental? Uh, you know, once you've determined that, it helps you figure out what to do next. Yeah, and, and I just want to reiterate
1: on the pesticides that there have been some pretty important research oh, studies yes. that show oh, yes. that even a small amount of pesticide can uh, correlates directly to activity behaviors. Yes. So, and when you take... The pesticides out there's a bit of a detox period but a lot of parents swear by this now. That's right. Um, right. So and and I know people go oh organic that's a whole other thing and I can't afford it and all these other things but we talk about uh, on the show a lot um, the Environmental Working Group has yearly they put out a list that's called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 and even if there's only just one thing that you do this year yourselves your family and your child all your children a favor and look at what the dirty dozen is it's 12 things that are known offenders for pesticides and just decide that you are only going to eat those organic even in a restaurant yep i mean i can feel the difference like peppers i love peppers and they're almost always on the list and if i go to a restaurant and eat peppers and they're not organic i feel different the (sighs) next day so I'm telling you, um, you know, take a look at the Dirty Dozen. It changes every year uh, because farming changes and, wow. and the economy changes, but they test everything. So t- take those things out and, and note if it makes a difference because there, there are many studies now showing the link between those two things. Amazing. So just, I know, right? I didn't even know this. I'm definitely going to look this up. I'm well, very
5: happy to hear about
1: it. You know, can I tell you who turned me on to that? was Rob yeah. Contello. Uh, I was really? not somebody who, the first study was in 2011 that showed this correlation. Amazing. And, and I said, why is this? And because, um, you know, I like to look at word origins. And when you see yep. pesticide, then you think, well, it kills the bugs. So why would it hurt us? It kills bugs, right? But it doesn't. That is a misnomer. It was named pesticide so that we would think it killed bugs. But pesticide does not kill bugs. It's a neurotransmitter disruptor. That's what it does. And so what it does to bugs, when you put pesticide out and the bugs eat it, the very first thing that it does to them is that it causes the mechanisms in their neurotransmitters to make everything, their legs move fast. Wow. Really, really fast. To the point where they are so distracted that they cannot eat, and then eventually, if you give them enough pesticide, it locks up. that You can't move fast enough, so it locks up, and they're paralyzed, and then they can't eat, and they die of starvation. That is
5: unbelievable. That is the
1: tr- that is That's the amazing truth. Amazing
5: information of, I'm so of glad what you told organophosphates,
1: me this. which is most of what is in pesticides, is. And so this study, when it shows that in kids, even a small amount of yep. pesticide, if you think about their little body, and it's a neurotransmitter disruptor and that it causes them to move extra fast, it, you know, you go, wait a second, what am I putting into my child? That's amazing. Right? Changed my life when, when I real I was like, okay, didn't know that. Um, but it was Rob Pontello who brought that to my attention. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so, yes. In any case, uh, thank you, Rob, for that. All right, so there we have it. And um, let's take a break and then come back with the next question. Stick with us, you guys. I'm saying hi to Faith and to Ezra and to Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us. Stick with us.
8: Hard times lead to good choices. Many times you're gonna find out that change is coming and it's not something that you like to see. Things sometimes just don't work. Sometimes you have to put your child in a new school. Sometimes you have to put them in a different classroom. Often you'll see this with perhaps special education versus regular education or everyone's favorite, puberty. All bets are off then. However, these things happen when they need to happen. So making that hard choice is super, super scary. But when you open those doors to look at things that maybe you've never dreamed you would have to look at you're going to find help that you never expected there are a lot of people out there dealing with the same things that you are dealing with and there is a level of help that you never even knew existed so don't be afraid when it's time to look at the scary problems that you're having when those things come up when the aggression increases when things are falling apart at home when you're getting the calls from the schools don't be afraid reach out Find out what you need to do. You might need to look at new schools, new housing. You might need to access new levels of service. But I am telling you, you're going to see amazing things. There are children that, as they grow, do things with the help of others, very specialized support, that you never thought they could do. So once you do that and you meet the child where he or she is and you give them what they need, everybody can do better, and you're going to see amazing progress.
1: parent to parent, you might be asking yourself sometimes, why does my child have meltdowns? Well, the difference between tantrums and meltdowns, tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but meltdowns are when things get a little bit more out of control, when even the child isn't sure what's entirely wrong. Generally, with a meltdown, there's an environmental component. There's something else going on outside the child that's making the tantrum worse. It's really important that we start to be detectives and take notes and look around at the environment and start to figure out what are the things that happen every time your child has a meltdown. And lastly, it's important to get help. You really can't face these kinds of things effectively completely on your own. Tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but don't accept meltdowns as something that just happens. Make sure you get help and support. You might be asking yourself if your child has autism. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here with Dr. Dorian Pichet. She's answering your questions in real time. Our next question comes to us from India. Uh, my son is two and a half years now and I found a system uh, of autism. We are from Hyperdad. Hyderabad. Hyderabad. Boy, I saw that totally different than how it's no. spelled, didn't it? <laughs>
5: <laughs> and hi- Hyderabad. See, Hyderabad means uh, like civilization, or yeah. So So
1: Hyderabad is a city. Okay. Fabulous. We are very much worried about my child. Please, I think uh, they are saying they're trying to find a system for autism and haven't found one. but they're worried about their child. So that's a wide open question, Dr. Brancich. Well,
5: so this is you are exactly the parent for whom I developed skills and IBT. So. What I recommend for you is to get on the Institute for Behavior Training on, the, on, your, uh, on their website, and it is ibehavioraltraining.com um, The letter I, behavioraltraining.com And I would really recommend you start there. Uh, just go through the modules one by one if you can. Go in the parent section, learn about autism, learn about ABA, um, educate yourself on techniques and then uh, go on skills, which is skillsforautism.com. And there you can start answering questions about your child. Your child's only two and a half, so you are in great shape. Don't worry, you're in the right place. Um, you'll learn the techniques, you will learn what your child needs to learn. And then what you'll do is what a lot of parents used to do uh, years ago in the U.S., so it's very doable. Um, you will hire people or get family members or anyone from the town to come and help. And each of those people will will uh, work maybe this four hours, six hours a week with your child. So that together it adds up to about 40 hours. So it's like... When your child is two and a half, you'll do, for instance, uh, let's say you take a few months to learn these things and you get something going, and by the time you get something going, your child's closer to three. But essentially what you'll do is you'll have different people coming in, so you'll have one session with your child from, let's say, eight o'clock to ten o'clock in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and that'll be one person. And then you'll have another person who comes and does Tuesday and Thursday mornings and you'll have the next Then your child gets a break at 10 o'clock for let's say half an hour and then you'll have another person going from let's say 10:30 until 12 30 or 12 and so you'll break up your child's session uh, a week so that all of his awake hours someone is with him and that someone should be trained using all of the IBT training there's a section for parents on IBT and there's also a section for paraprofessionals, therapists. So get all these people together and start having them learn from IBT. This is a very inexpensive way to do it. It's like taking classes to learn how to do ABA. Once you've learned that and once you've answered all the questions on skills, then you have an idea of how to teach and what to teach. Now, we also can help you if you call card. We can help uh, assign someone who can do online or on, by phone or by Zoom or uh, some other, you know, FaceTime. They can give you advice and supervision and they can guide you how to do this. And um, you can definitely do this and we're happy to help you with this. So please don't, give up on this. Um, don't be scared. I know it's a lot scarier. There's actually a lot of families in India who are on skills and yep. working. Um, I wish there was a way we could connect all of the families together. We,
1: we've connected a couple and and if they give permission, we can. Yeah. If
5: you write
1: to me and you can email me at s.penrod at autism-live.com and you say to me, here's my information and you have my permission to give my information to other parents that you are aware of, then I can do that. Otherwise I can't because your information is very private and you are entitled to it. Um, so that's that's up to you, but then we can attempt to because that's how a group of people gets together And and then you can train somebody together and, and share share
5: the therapists yeah. Exactly,
1: yeah. and that's where it's very beneficial. Absolutely. Um, we have another question that came in from India, but we're, we're running out of time here So I'm prioritizing um, We uh, let's go ahead and do the India one. Sure. So uh, hello, Dr. Doreen and, and Mrs. Shannon. I love being called Mrs. Shannon It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> this is from India. I have a nine-year-old with people PDD-NOS in mainstream second grade she's always had some smell related behavior used to smell non-food objects smelling her uh, clothes body parts occasionally she tries to hug and smell me recently she started to do it to other women especially in elevators when someone comes very close to her also trying to touch them my question is how does one redirect inappropriate smelling touching others Uh, I always get the most amazing advice from you Uh, thank you so much
5: so, y- you know, like everything else, I, we don't really know what part of her brain is, is, uh, ha- um, making her smell things. But clearly, we receive input from our senses, and sometimes when our kids have, uh, like, they're, they're not receiving enough input from visual, let's say, or auditory, then they use their other senses more, right? So they might use touch or smell uh, or taste even. A mm-hmm. lot of children will put things, even babies, I mean all babies, essentially will put something in their mouth to figure out what it is just mm-hmm. because those particular sensory receptors are more developed. And so for your child, smell seems to be a way that she is receiving input. So. We already know that that's something that's going to be pretty hard to block all the time except if you give her an appropriate period of time during the day, let's say, uh, where she is allowed to sense uh, various things through smell. So for instance have a variety of things that she is allowed to smell um i i know people who i I used to have a friend it's funny i just remembered this i used to have a friend who would always put perfume here Mm -hmm. and during the course of the day like when she was um just thinking she'd be like Mm -hmm. "Mm -hmm," and she was like smell something or you could always like put a scarf around the individual and put some perfume on it or Mm -hmm. something like that so that her sense of smell is is being satisfied, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. And then it becomes a little bit easier to block those situations that feel inappropriate to you, like going up to people. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like anything else, when a child does something that socially is inappropriate, you just have to not allow it. it, right. it it's very simple. But again, the, the theory is you don't allow that, but you try to replace it with some activity that will give the child the safe, same level of of sensory satisfaction, stimulation, etc. Okay, so great advice. We're
1: gonna take another short break and then we're gonna be back uh, with, oh, hopefully with one more question. So stick with us,
2: short break. Hi, I'm Lisa Ackerman. Welcome back to Talk of Facts. Um, I, we hear questions all the time and we wanna give you the answers that help make your journey in autism easier and more navigable. Less than a year ago, we interviewed the top 100 doctors in the United States working with children on the spectrum and we asked them a question in the cloak of secrecy. What are the top three mistakes parents living with autism do? Number one and the one that makes me laugh the most is when they use their physician as a marriage and family therapist. (laughs) One, the doctors told me it made them uncomfortable, and two, they were highly unqualified to provide that type of advice. So the night before your physician appointment with your MAPS doctor, get together with your spouse, significant other, and write out the list of the targets and the agenda that you wanna cover at the physician's appointment. Get in sync then you'll be definitely spending less time and not making that doctor so uncomfortable. Second thing that was the most common mistakes parents living with autism make, is they wanna go too fast. And really, you wanna pace yourself in the autism journey. We all know that we wanna get our kid to be the best they can be and hopefully recover from autism. And what a lot of the doctors have told me is that you wanna really pace yourself, one, to let the labs be your guide, and two, work with your physician on the prioritization and the the delivery of the different medical interventions. The third most common mistake they felt families made was giving up too soon. And what you need to know is they're invested. um, They're looking at wanting to get the best from your child. But I tell you that when I got that and consolidated the 100 interviews with these physicians, most of the doctors who brought that up had tears in their eyes um, they want you to know that they're in the fight with you and they want you to know that hope is really real it may take hard work and it may take time but to not give up and to stay in the game so let taca help you we'll have some more talk of facts for you in the future real questions and real answers for the autism journey mm-hmm.
1: Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here with Dr. Doreen grampy Schaefer. Ask Dr. Doreen. We're running out of time, but um, there was one that you had said that there is a book, I just, so I want yeah, to address it. Right. Uh, my name is Richard, and at age four, I got lead poison. Uh, then at 18, I got diagnosed with autism. My IQ is 109. I'm very smart, and I don't think I have autism. What can it be?
5: Right, so many, many years ago, a parent wrote a book called, I believe it was called, Turning Lead into Gold. Mm-hmm. And it had to do with, she had two children who had lead poisoning and they had the exact symptoms of autism. That's why I know about it, because yeah. I actually wrote on the back of the book, right? Okay. So she, I, I would suggest you try to read that book. It's old, but it is interesting because she was she would be one of the very first parents I know who started a detox r- regimen for her children. And that significantly helped. Now. So, in terms of where to go for the de- severe lead de- detoxification, uh, th- I would recommend that you look up MAPS, which I don't know what MAPS stands for, but... It's, it's actually MEDMAPS. MEDMAPS, Maps. Uh, okay. Yes,
1: uh, and Med- it's like Medical Autism Practitioner Specialists, I think. It's, yeah, or yeah I don't know, yeah.
5: yeah. So MEDMAPS, and these are the physicians that focus on, on autism, but Don't let that bug you because they focus. Some of these physicians are very involved with detoxification, which is essentially chelation. And you want to make sure you find someone who's an expert because chelation is also kind of a, a dangerous process. But you know, and uh, there's a lot of controversy about chelation for autism, but there's no controversy regarding chelation and detoxification when it's lead poisoning. So you wanna make sure that you look into this and it's never too late, You, you would be amazed. In fact, I think for all of us, we're exposed to so many toxins, chelation is never a bad idea personally there you go okay this is a very interesting question i'm a bcba and would like to
1: train at card are there any training opportunities for independent providers Uh, and then they gave their email but i I, you know card is always looking for
5: bcbas yes we are we Uh, don't train independent people we just don't have time We're, we're training we're hiring i don't even know like over a hundred something bcbas a year so we're really rapidly recruiting BCBAs. So if you would like to work at CARD, we would love to hire you, train you. Um, Even if you're in a region where we're not, we often hire BCBAs and then we help you uh, travel to our sites and, and or do telehealth for us. So we're very involved with our BCBAs, but if you don't want to join CARD, then I would suggest you go to Institute for Behavior Training, IABehavioraltraining.com. And you'll see a lot of training materials there for BCBAs. Okay. And then I think this is probably going to be our last
1: question. How would I teach my 10-year-old son to do his homework on his own? Currently, he only does it if I am sitting with him. Sending that oh, mama a yeah. hug. Yes, right. yes.
5: <laughs> right. So you're going to need to set up a token system for your child. And I don't know if your child has the ability to understand a token system, but... Uh, again, there's a section on token economies, both on skills and on IBT. Uh, token economies are a system where you are rewarding the child uh, for doing something. For instance, the child will, what you'll do is, he'll do, you'll do a, a homework right now, real quick, just to give you an idea. So you're doing homework, you're sitting with your child, he completes a particular homework item, and normally you just reward him and so on. What you'll do now is you'll give him a token, like a smiley face or a sticker or I don't know what is meaningful. Just It's a, it's a visual depiction of something that's going to get him a reward later. It's not necessarily a rewarding thing itself. It's a token of a reward that represents a, a reward like money. Why don't you give him money? He's 10 years old. Give yeah. him money. Give him a dollar bill every time he completes something. And then you still sit with him, but you gradually start to, you'll go out, come back in, go out, come back in. And you'll gradually start to increase the period of time you're gone. And you do it very slowly so that he's successful, he remains successful. If you do it too fast, he'll fail. So, and you'll still, and when he completes it within a certain time frame, make sure you time it, he gets the dollar bill. And so then you'll do this with another section of his homework and another section of his homework. And ultimately, you'll make sure that every night he's not earning more than what's reasonable to you, let's say $5. And then he can spend the $5 however he wants. It'll be so motivating for him that he will not even care if you're there. One of the most brilliant things I've ever heard was one of our
1: BCBAs who said that they started when their child was young. I wished I'd thought of this back then, but um, their kids loved Mm Kool-Aid. Now, I would tell you, based on what we said earlier about the artificial colors, don't do Kool-Aid, but... Find something that your kids particularly right, love, and right, you can do lemonade right. that doesn't have artificial food coloring, flavoring in it. Uh, but they, they love these kids loved Kool Aid, and so the only time they served Kool Aid was during homework. The oh, only time ever Kool Aid, and every time homework was done, there was that. a thing of Kool Aid that went on the table, and they and so they they were like, "Is it time for homework?" That's right. That's, that's a that's, great idea. Those are as the well. children of a BCBA. <laughs> there and there it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, um, but that I just put that in addition to what you say. Oh, absolutely. 10, I, it's, it's a lots whole other of thing. But, yes, but for those of you with little ones, uh, start now. Find what it is, and that snack goes on the table. We're out of time, oh. uh, and as evidenced by your <laughs> alarm going off. In any case, we thank you so much for it being all, here. Always it's always my understanding that you. you are back here next week again. So, I am. so I think that's super exciting. Make sure that you guys are ready. Questions for doctor Grant Pichet now for next week. Thank you so much. We Pleasure. appreciate so you nice more to be than here. you could ever know.
5: Thank you so and,
1: much. Uh, and we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, it's time for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot-Jackson will be joining me, and we've got a cavalcade of great guests. You're not going to want to miss it, so stick with us. As a parent, you might be asking yourself, why does my child stim? Well first of all, let's talk about what stimming is. Stimming is a slang term for self-stimulatory behavior, which is kind of a misnomer anyway because a lot of the times when our children engage in these kinds of behaviors, they're not to stimulate themselves, sometimes they're to soothe themselves. So, first of all, we want to get rid of the notion that it's to stimulate themselves. But they do do these behaviors because there's something about it that feels good. And that's the main thing that we need to know as parents. It's not some random behavior. There's something about it that's giving the child a paycheck. And once we get an idea of what that might be, we need to find a behavior that can take that behavior's place and start to reinforce that. We want to pick something that's more socially acceptable. So if, for instance, the child is doing a lot of hand flapping because they like seeing their blurred fingers, then we can find something else for them to focus on, maybe a toy that does blurred colors. So for a period of time, they'll focus on that. The main thing to remember, though, is that there is a reason for these behaviors. There's something about it that feels good to the child. And once we know that, we can begin to change it. There's a phrase that's being used in the autism community called stimming.
2: Hi, welcome back to Autism Live, I'm Lisa Ackerman. Uh, we're here doing allergy-free cooking and I brought my sister with me today. Jamie Davis. Thanks yeah. for having me. A lot of people are asking about an allergy-free breakfast. and Breakfast can be full of crap, you it, know, breakfast, But it's full of cereal. crap and it's hard to do. We yeah. don't have time in the morning. We're in a hurry. We're going completely nut free. The recipe is not. Personality good. we can't do yeah, anything can't about. Yeah, can't do anything about that. So we're going to start off first with, um, I'm using sorghum and brown rice flour. I find the texture good and I've added some flaxseed meal. We talked about that last time, flaxseed meal for poop. Almost every one of our kids has a poop issue. What's next on the recipe is the quinoa flakes, baking powder, cinnamon and the xanthan gum. It brings the glutinous texture back into the flour. And often what happens with these recipes is they can fall apart. This one holds up nicely. I like it. For the folks that are egg free, we have a ton of egg replacers. One of those can be the arrowroot starch or bringing back some additional flax seeds. So there's a lot of options to go eggless, but we're gonna go egg full in this one. For sweetener, I use the maple syrup. I stay away from refined sugar. What I'm adding now is the coconut uh, milk, maple syrup, and a little bit of the coconut oil. And we're gonna add in the raisins, craisins, and chocolate chips at the end. I find that chocolate chips can coax people to eat some really amazing things. When we started, Jeff had 42 food allergies, so we had to get creative in how we cooked. So nuts were a big, big issue. What I like now is that he can tolerate so many more things after start doing this diet. So let me show you how you can deal with this um, sticky stuff here. You get your fingers really wet and you can push it down. So my oven has been preheated. It's at um, 350 degrees, so we're going to just throw this in, like I said. I like it around 23 minutes, and the magic oven says, I'm done. Looks like. Don't you love magic ovens? Yeah. They're awesome. There we go, pops right out. The texture of these, and it's so pretty, it looks almost like a big chocolate chip cookie, but you actually made it healthy. But you can be wow. my guinea pig. Tell me what you think. It looks
7: really
5: good. Doesn't
2: it? So the textures and the colors and they are just beautiful. So the raisins are for you, the chocolate chips are for your kid.
8: I can't believe it's gluten-free.
2: I know, right? It doesn't taste like, you know, Crack. crap. <laughs> <laughs> We're wrapping up another cooking show. If you have feedback, you can email us at autismlive at gmail.com. We're of course on Facebook. You could go to facebook.com slash autismlive. And of course, Talkin' Now has thousands of recipes. Join me there. And we can um, cook some more later on. So thanks for joining us.
1: You say hi,
7: Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism. I'm Nancy Allspaugh-Jackson. And thrilled I'm to be here. Shannon
1: Penrod. Thrilled to be here with Hi, my friend you? and, and your lovely mauve. Is, that is what it that mauve? I thought it was cranberry. Oh, it kind of is cranberry, isn't it? <laughs> cranberry and purple, sort of. It's very fun. Um, but uh, thrilled to be here with you. And normally we start out the show within the news, but we have a new segment that we're bringing to you uh, at least once a month that we... You know, Nancy and I, when we cover in the news, a lot of times there's research studies and we do our level best. Right. But that's we're not scientists hilarious. by any means. Right. right. And uh, so we have uh, reached out to, there are a group of people who work in the research and development department of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And on a monthly basis, they bring us one of our their bright up-and-coming stars uh, to join us. And so that is what we're doing this morning. We're welcoming Nick Marks to the program. And Nick, we're going to start by having you tell us a little bit about what you do at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And welcome to the show. Hi,
9: Nancy and Shannon. Thank you very much. Um, I'm Nick. I actually work in the research and development department. Um, basically what we're looking at is uh, new intervention strategies and just any type of new research that um, incorporates ASD and how that can change our intervention uh, for the better. So. Today I'm gonna to be presenting on a piece that was in a behavior and practice journal by Lugo and colleagues and it's titled Developing Procedures to Improve Therapist and Child Rapport in Early Intervention. Um, and the reason that we're going into this is because we wanna show that as a behavioral science, ABA, that there's research into ethics and compassion in our field. And we wanna apply that research to our everyday practice in our clinics. Um, Our mission encompasses family satisfaction, and we're really using this research in ethics and compassion to encourage an environment aligned with similar practices to what the medical world has to offer. So we need to attempt to understand concepts like how building rapport with a patient and with a patient's family um, really goes to affect the clinical outcomes. Now, not a lot of studies have examined this idea that building rapport will affect patient outcomes. However, we did find one study study that i just mentioned that suggested a framework of how to build rapport with our clients so for me myself i'm really big on this ethical concept of beneficence and that means doing the most good for the most people or the most patients therefore building a healthy relationship with our patients through rapport through building trust can help us to meet this goal of beneficence as it allows us to meet the needs of every single one of our clients that we have so why is rapport so important to us Well, if parents don't believe we have a good rapport with their child, they likely won't use our services. And also, if we don't develop that rapport with our child as behavioral therapists, we tend to fail to understand behavior, potential reinforcers, the environment that the child functions best in. And this leads us to not be able to function as our intervention becomes faulty. Now, a way to think about this is... um, When we fail to do our jobs as practitioners and we don't build a rapport, it's just like if a doctor doesn't develop a rapport with a patient. They may fail to, the patient may fail to um, go over their symptomology with the doctor because they don't have the patient's, or the doctor's trust. Um, So let's go into this study. So what did this study look at? The study was utilized to identify procedures that may help build rapport among behavioral health therapists. This study suggested a framework for just that, for building rapport. to improve the child's overall condition during therapy sessions by building that rapport and that trust for the child. Now, it took six therapists or staff members at a university-based clinic and trained them to use pre-session pairing procedures. And these pre-session pairing procedures were procedures that had already been proven to be effective in prior research. Now, these parent procedures were allowing the child to have access to tangible items and activities that their patients may like before they went into a session, a lot like a a preference assessment. Now, the parent procedure itself involved engaging in the activities of the child's choice, delivering those preferred items, and imitating the child's actions to gain the child's trust, along with ensuring the child's happiness. Now happiness is key here, not just in building rapport, but we as practitioners, we tend to forget that children need to be engaged and happy when they're learning. And I believe that uh, happiness is key in building rapport with children. I'm sure you as parents can understand that when a child is unhappy, they tend to not wanna do what you want them to do. So let's get back into the study. The author suggested six key points of action that should be involved in pre-session pairing skills. So I'm going to go over those six uh, points of action. here. Now, one was staying in the arm's distance of a child, such that the therapist is always engaging the child while having the child's attention. This is important. The child needs to begin to trust the therapist and know that the therapist is always going to be right by the child if they need anything. Now, the second point was providing praise for appropriate playing skills. Now, we all know positive reinforcement is enormous in the success of ABA therapy, and this needs to be structured so that the children feel comfortable and know that they're doing the right thing at the right times. Now, three, the therapist repeat the vocalizations of a child. Now, this is kind of funny, and it's meant to be in a playing way, such that as the child barks like a dog, the therapist barks back like a dog. And play is so important for all children, and we need to teach children that playing and having fun is indeed an acceptable thing. Now, four, therapist imitates appropriate playing skills. Now, this goes back to play. We need to ensure children are having fun and just playing playing like kids. This serves as reinforcement as children see that they're playing correctly when their therapist imitates their play skills. Now, number five, the therapist describes what the appropriate play skills are that the client is doing and provides a tangible item to them. Again, this concept is reinforcing and helps to maintain the child's appropriate behavior while extinguishing inappropriate play skills. Now, number six, and the last of the point, is that the therapist creates a new activity by changing the function of a toy such that they turn a book into a playhouse. We need to make children feel as though they should be creative with their play skills. Now, all these pairings, like I um, said in the past, were tested by the six behavioral therapists, and measurements were used to see if the behavioral therapist could actually adopt these play skills in a session environment. So why did we use this in a test environment? Well, the author derived these pre-session pairing procedures from prior literature and pairing procedures, so functional analysis and behavioral parent training that gained traction and showed efficacies. So um, what were the results of this? Well, what we found was that these uh, these therapists who they tested these skills on were actually able to adopt these skills within about five set five one hour sessions. And so, why did we use these skills? Well, we want we use these skills because they help to reduce problematic behaviors. They help to reduce the aversive nature of the therapeutic ses- setting that is new to a child, and that helps to build rapport. Um. And other than that, prior studies have demonstrated that peering and rapport building as a treatment package combined together does, in fact, reduce the aversive nature of therapy in clinic setting. So now performance feedback was given to therapists after each setting indicating which skills were met. And we can utilize this in our own setting at CARD by performing similar uh, performance feedbacks from some of our VCBAs or our therapist liaisons. Um, And in conclusion, found
10: that pre-session pairing can be used to build rapport with children receiving behavioral health services,
9: as it helps to allow the child to feel comfortable in a therapeutic setting. Now CARD and other healthcare providers can implement these pre-session pairing procedures before each and every session to help find reinforcers for the children and to help build trust among these children.
1: Okay. Uh, and, and, and that—I don't know if questions? you were done, but that was—I—I—I've got a lot of questions and comments okay. about this because a lot of times research for me, and you—you you and I talk about this all the time—that I—I I call it the big duh, mm-hmm. right? That's like, well, okay, uh, to me. It makes perfect sense, what you were saying, Nick, that when you have a good relationship, and as you were saying, rapport, when a therapist and a child have a good relationship, you're going to get more done. Of course. Right? You're just going to get more done. Uh, and we say, of course, but research would say, well, is that true? But what, what they found is that it that it does work, correct, Nick? That's the first takeaway?
9: Absolutely.
1: Okay. Yes. So what I – then I – you know, you listed off these six things, these six pre-session pairings that uh, – because that, that's a mouthful in and of itself, pre-session mm-hmm. pairings. I was like, wait a second. Um, but that that were found to be effective and that they also found that any therapist could do. And as, I, as you were talking about them, I was like, well – yeah, I can remember therapists doing this with my son. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about it, yeah, the therapist that I really loved <laughs> did yeah. this kind of stuff. Right. And that sometimes you take it for granted that some people know to do some things. And why don't other people do it? But to pare it down, to distill it to these six things and say, hey, if you do these six things, you're gonna hit it out of the park. Mm-hmm. I kind of love this, even though I sort of felt like in the beginning I was like, well, that's kind of a big duh, isn't it? But for people who don't know, look, if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be more successful for the kid. It's good to have it listed. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, they found that across the board they could teach therapists to do this rather quickly was the other takeaway, right?
10: Correct, yes.
1: Okay. Am I missing anything out of that?
10: I
9: think you did well there. (laughs)
1: I was paying attention Um, but I but think about this from a parent point of view because as I was thinking and and thinking about these I was like would this like make me like the therapist more me the parent if I saw them sticking close to the child of course I'll tick that box I like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right that they praise my child of course (laughs) I like that tick that box Um, that they repeat vocalizations that my child does. Yes, I like that too. I don't know that everybody would like that for all things, but I would like... I like the idea that the child does something and you do it too, and that that builds rapport. It creates
7: a bond between. Uh, the yes, I
1: like and that. Um, imitating appropriate play skills, I like that too, um, and describing what they just did that was correct and offering them a reward for it. Gosh, I'd like that therapist too, and then morphing that into something that takes us from whatever play they were doing into more imaginative play. Uh, that's a rock star therapist to me right there
7: now Nick are you incorporating this with all therapists now with that are working with card clients?
9: Well, this is a framework. This is actually just a framework and we do want to test probably the validity of this to make sure that this works For our specific organization itself um, But this is definitely the framework that we should be working off of like you said I mean, it's a big dub, but it's something that you know we have to sometimes see in writing
10: to understand mm-hmm.
1: absolutely and uh, so I hope that a, a lot of our card car therapists are gonna be like yeah we do that but for anybody who doesn't already do that mm-hmm. I hope that they will see this and go hey I want to be more successful yeah and if I just need to do these six things to be more successful and start my session off better why wouldn't we right why so that this we?
7: is something we hope to see incorporated in practice Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely.
1: Uh, Nick, I just I'm so thrilled to have you join us and we are loving having people from your team come and and share these things with us. Yes,
7: it's a great act, asset
1: to us. It really is. So thanks for being with us. If anybody has questions, Nick, is there uh, they can write to, you guys can write to me and I'll forward them to Nick. Let's do that. So uh, you can either write to me on the show or S.penrod at autism livecom All right. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much. Thank you guys very much. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Um, I'm a little bit, I I geek out on this kind of stuff. I get really excited about it. We recently, for those of you who don't know, I've been to two conferences recently. I went to ABAI up in San Francisco, and then I went to Cal Abba for Mm -hmm. one day, and they had poster sessions. And at the poster sessions, it's uh, people like Nick um, sometimes it's college students who are studying to become BCBAs. Sometimes they're already BCBAs or from an organization. And they present research that they've done. Sometimes it's with one of their clients or t- you know 10 clients, whatever. But they put out an idea, mm-hmm. just like at a science fair, mm-hmm. but it's on a level where we're talking about ABA right. being better with autism. And, and then they defend their poster. Mm-hmm. So there's a session set up and it's like a big, almost like a party. Mm-hmm. And they have all these boards. I'd never been to one until I started hosting the show, but I love them. Because you just walk up to anybody, you see on the poster what the title of the study is and most of the time I go I have no idea what that means. (laughs) I'm like no, like I'm reading that sentence and I'm like is it in English? You know? But you walk up to them and say so tell me what you're, you're, so what your study is, what it did, what it meant, whatever. So we were live. I went around to the posters and asked people, what is your study? And then when I didn't understand it, I would say, yeah, does that mean this? And they would go, no. And (laughs) pretty much what we do here on the show, I go, does it mean this? No. And then they would explain it to me again. And I think they're kind of hilarious, but very informative. So those are available on our Facebook page. Oh, good. If you want to go and look at them to see... Uh, The one session I went an hour and a half straight live just and I didn't get to everybody That's how big these things are and I just say to parents if you have the opportunity to go to a conference That's having a poster session don't Say to yourself, I don't know what to, do, I don't know what they're saying and avoid it, go. Yeah, because ask it, questions. it's, it's, it's free.
7: self-explanatory once you get there, right? Or the therapist, they break it down for you.
1: You have to ask them and say, right. I don't understand right. that, but it's great for them. It's good training for them mm-hmm. and they have to defend whatever their, mm-hmm. th- what their study is and they're supposed to be able to speak intelligently mm-hmm. about it to anyone. And it's free to ask them and you find out about what they're doing with right. the research right. and how much better ABA is getting. I get excited. I'm sorry. I, I know you do. <laughs> that's
7: that's very good. Case, we've got a great right. guest who's coming yeah, we up. Yeah, do. Who's helping one of our Act Today families? So
1: yeah, let's uh, let's take a break, and we're going to we'll come back. back, and we're going to be with Mark Hildreth, Hildreth, and he is an ex-pro wrestler, uh, but now is coming to us from Paradise Exteriors.
7: Right. So he's helping we'll with a grant. More about that. So we'll talk Stick to him with when us. we get back. Stay with us.
1: what your degree is in.
10: City planning or urban planning. I got it from Cal State Northridge with a degree in cinema and television arts with an emphasis in screenwriting.
1: And what are you interested in Eli?
10: Um, a video game internship.
1: Programming?
10: I'm hoping to combine entertainment or travel my two
1: passions. Ooh, what kind of jobs have you worked? Big re-
6: inventory. Okay, inventory. Talk about your volunteer job. I, I was going to, have to help the soldiers.
1: You volunteered to help the soldiers?
6: Yes.
8: I interned in the national parks in the Santa Monica Mountains, which is a very urban mm-hmm. area. So I worked with the uh, situ problems of how it's impacting the surrounding community, like the, uh, the flow of traffic and the flow of people and what they could do to plan in the parking.
10: I've been to China, I've been all around Europe.
1: I've been to uh, Thailand, Japan, Australia. You can create an app? That's impressive. Really cool thing. Can you teach other people how to make yeah. an app? If you have a choice between uh, working or not working, working, you like working. Yes. Why? What do you like about working?
10: It's fun. I would work.
1: Yeah? You would choose work? Why?
10: Because I feel more of that. Um, get get paid and enjoy it and want to make sure i have enough money so i can save it
1: why do you need to have a full-time job i mean it's kind of like a duh thing right oh no, obviously so <laughs> yeah. i can
8: support myself right and hopefully a family down the line but at least at first like myself
1: i'm very dependable and uh always reliable and get to my job on time what excites you about working a job or being an intern.
5: Learning new skills. Yeah.
1: What has it meant to you having this job and having the stability of a job that you've had for multiple years?
10: It's meant the world because I'm able to do everything but almost everything I wanted to do because of that job.
1: we say we say hi, let's get let's get, let's
10: get
2: Hi, welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman, Executive Director of TACA. We're gonna bake again. All right. It's my lovely assistant. Hi, I'm Jennifer Lucero. We heard so many people go, I want a decent chocolate chip cookie for my kid to eat. We've got um, all our dry ingredients. So I've got the flour, I've got the flaxseed milk, baking soda, baking powder, gargum, or xanthan gum. Great. So we're gonna get started in the mixer here. So those are our dry ingredients. Um, I did have uh, brown sugar. We did cut this down, and the one way to do that is my favorite, and that's maple syrup. I'm using egg for this recipe, but we could use more um, uh, arrowroot and also um, the flaxseed meal. So, I'll go ahead and throw my eggs in here, which I love doing. So, and then the last thing is a shortening and a gluten-free casein-free butter replacement. So, I'm going to go ahead and throw this in. Um, I've let it sit out for a while, so it's nice and soft. So let's go ahead and mix this thing well. These are dairy-free, soy-free, and I really like them. Again, Enjoy Life is a great product. It's also net free And chocolate chips are a personal thing. I won't judge you if you use the whole bag. I would. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So here we go. Great recipe. It's the nice consistency. Um, everything's ready to go so we can enjoy our cookies here in just about 10 minutes. We want to give it a kind of like a couple inches between each cookie. Now a lot of people are really concerned about aluminum, so what I've done is I laid down my uh, natural brown um, parchment paper and Jen's helping out putting the cookies down. So we're separating uh, the nice baked good that's all organic uh, from the aluminum cookie sheets. So let's go put these Great. in. So magic oven allows me to pull the last ones out. And voila,
6: Yum, looks good.
2: really great cookies. I'll let you have a bite, so you can do my Vanna White there too. Mm. Uh, yeah, these taste pretty good. Good, really good. Mm. We're going to come back later after I gain five pounds and <laughs> eat this <laughs> entire tray. For sure. You know, more feedback is good. So if there's something you want us to convert, like yeah. a, another recipe or maybe a relative main, just let us know, autismlive at gmail.com. You can go to Facebook, or there's thousands of recipes on the taca website just waiting for you to explore. You can go to tacanow, T A C A N O W dot O R G. And we'll see you next time at Autism
1: Live. Bye.
7: And we're back with Let's Talk Autism. And as we said, we're going to be joined by a special guest. We've got uh, Mark Hildreth. Mark, welcome to the show.
4: Welcome. Thank you for having me, Shannon and Nancy, from out there in California. And we'd like to greet all of our visitors here at Paradise Exteriors office in Southeast Florida with a welcome to Paradise.
7: Tell us what Paradise Exteriors does.
4: We provide impact windows and doors, hurricane-resistant impact windows and doors for homeowners to protect their homes from the damage of aggressive weather like hurricanes.
1: And just recently, you have uh, stepped into the world of autism because I understand, Nancy, you had a family with a grant. Let's tell us the story of what's happening with this family.
7: The family needed a, an impact uh, window for their child with autism because uh, they they've broken a few windows. Broken a few I windows, yes.
1: And uh, Mark, you ha- tell us what you have done to help this family out.
4: Well, I received an email from Miss Ileana Herrera uh, saying that you folks granted her some money to do one window for her son's bedroom. And that piqued my interest a little bit. I, most people don't do just one window. And I dug in a little bit, spoke with her. And, and then I realized that, you know, we're always, of course, in paradise. We're creating opportunities to give back our hard-earned good fortune. But we're also very good at recognizing opportunities when they're presented to us. So we clearly saw this as an opportunity to help not one but two families. I expressed to act today that I think that we will do this window and we'll absorb the cost and you can apply that thousand dollars to another autistic family for the need
7: which is is amazing very generous of you yes but uh, as you
1: were saying you noticed okay there here's a need that we had not even thought of for this product that we have that could be helpful to the to this family and uh, as you were just saying to us we your company is new to autism but I had said welcome aboard because I think you're going to get a lot more people wanting to know about your windows
4: Well, I'll tell you, I am impressed with how much love and money starts flying around when you say autism.
7: (laughs) Yes, it does. We have a we
4: actually now have a GoFundMe page up on the Paradise Exteriors website to finish off Miss Herrera's family's home for her with the rest of the windows and the doors.
7: For the rest And we've already
4: had great response. Our manufacturer, SoftLight in Ohio, they're gonna contribute and our distributors. Um, it's just so overwhelming how much money begins to be released and autism's involved. I gotta tell you, I'm about ready to have a marketing change and brand these windows as um, Autistic Defense System.
7: Right.
1: Well, and there are a lot of benefits to these windows. Yes, for... in addition
7: to the impact, there's yes, the sound so reduction. They're...
1: Yes, Um, so these windows are, you know, I don't know what words you use, but high impact, but they're super, super tough, but they cut down on sound. They cut down on certain kinds of light. Talk to us about the
4: windows. Well, the window, you're right. There's tremendous sound, what they call the sound abatement, keeping the noise out. And we found that's a more calming, relaxing environment for studies or for hobbies and interests that might act as relaxation techniques. For these children, well, and then whether they, they aggressively the or sensitive. inadvertently break the window or come in contact with the window, it can't be broken to the point where it shatters and harms you.
1: Which is sometimes, you know, Nancy, you've been right, through this. It can right. be life-saving. Yes, it can. Uh, when a kid puts a uh, uh, a fist through a window and, and the you broken have shards, glass
7: shards of that, glass that Very can dangerous. open,
1: uh, you know veins and mm-hmm. lead to somebody bleeding to death. Right. So this is a really important um, thing for us to, to cover and talk about. Um, so tell, tell the folks that are watching, if they want to know more about Paradise Exteriors, where do they need to go to get more information about these windows, Mark?
4: Well, we'd like to invite you to the Paradise Exteriors Facebook, first of all, to look at Ms. Herrera's story and hopefully uh, Paradise's lead in getting this project started. Your national listener audience can help us finish that house off. Um, our company, as of course, is always looking to give back to the community. We have an annual Thanksgiving um, food drive for people in our community. And again, this is new to us. Um, this presented it to ourselves in our laps and. We clearly saw it as a way to help uh, Miss Ileana and help you all apply that money to another family. Also, um, the man I work with, Dan Beckner, he and I were both raised by single, independent women, strong women that found themselves with a house full of children alone. But we both identified with Miss Herrera being a single mom, my mother, Carol, and Dan's mother, Cookie, great women, and they're watching right now, so this is the hi mom, hi mom. That's my picture. Hi, this picture, up So Dan and I are very grateful to the job that our mothers did in very difficult circumstances. So we identified her era that way.
7: I well, love you it. strong women, and as you say, you salute other strong women who are trying to help a single mom out here in a great way, which you're doing. Uh, wonderful work, and we applaud you for taking not only just fulfilling this grant, but taking it and running with it, and trying to use it as a way to benefit other families. And for
4: well, that, go ahead. We we consider this. Uh, it was a gift to us to be able to provide this gift. That's how we looked at it. Uh, and again, we just posted this on our Facebook not long ago, and we've already had great response, and I'm sure that your national audience. They're probably typing in that Paradise Facebook right now.
1: (laughs) We want to encourage people to go and make a donation of any size. Uh, That money will go towards finishing off that home. Um, And And
4: I I want to add, Shannon, any extra money that is donated above and beyond the cost to finish this project and we're going to do it at cost, the excess will go to act today so you can apply it other families.
7: Our official title now is Autism Care Today. We we got rid of the activity. That's okay. okay. I just want to reiterate that, that it's autism care today. And
1: for those of you who are watching, who are looking at Mark, and you're like, he looks familiar. We haven't even talked about the fact that Mark is an ex-pro wrestler. And Mark, I have to say notably Look at that. that you are uh, also uh, ex-military, honorably discharged from the Navy, so we salute you for your service, both as a wrestler, but also in the, in the military. Uh, and I know Nancy can talk to you about the fact that there are many initiatives that are just for the military families that are affected by autism, that, yes. uh, that Autism Care Today also helps. So I'm sure you guys can have a longer conversation about that. But we salute you for everything that you are doing, Mark. And we thank Paradise Exteriors for jumping on this and seeing that where there is a need and fulfilling that need. Yeah. That's a wonderful thank thing. Thank you so
7: much.
4: Well, I believe this is just a start to our relationship.
7: I, agree. I do too. Thank you, Mark. We thank appreciate it. And
4: thank you so me. much for inviting me on your show. I'm I'm very honored and grateful. Uh, and again, to all the listeners out there, uh, we are we are a company now that is autism-minded, and uh, it's going to be on our ticket for causes that we continue to support.
7: That's great. Don't thank we you love so that.
1: much. Thank you so much. Paradise thank Exteriors. Get on their Facebook right now. Donate what you can thank you and thanks to those fabulous moms we'll talk to you thank soon. you ladies we'll talk to you soon bye 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 all right what a great great guy yeah i know yes uh don't don't we love men who get it and yes. get on it and take yes. action and are, you know um it's a fabulous fabulous thing okay we've got still two more two guests right. to go so we're gonna pause for a minute and we're gonna come back with daniel Share strom painless vaccine share so right. stick with us
7: Thank you, Mark.
3: Hello there, fellow activist. You're an activist because you're making the world a better place for someone living with autism. Now on Autism Live, you learn all about your children. You learn about their bodies and their brains. But this empowerment moment is all about you. It's about your heart and your soul. Now don't worry, I'm not gonna have you start singing Kumbaya or doing chanting. Let's talk about blessings. One of the blessings of living with a child with autism is learning to love them unconditionally. Learning to love them despite all the ups and downs, all the sacrifices. In fact, you learn to love them more so because of them. I call this my empowerment prayer God grant me the wisdom to see my disability as an opportunity, the courage to love my child unconditionally, and the faith to live a life of purpose. So going from the sublime to the ridiculous, I have a little song for you today. It's a rap song, so I know that an old or okay, middle-aged white woman rapping just doesn't seem right, but I'm going to go for it anyway. My style is a little like Nicki Minaj meets Dr. Seuss. Nancy's Autism Rap. It's just a diagnosis, your life's not over. Don't lay there like a dog, get up, Rover. You say your head is spinning with CF, ABA, IEPs, and neurofeedback? Autism tough. That much is true, but you'll survive because you're you. Your life's not over. It's just begun, so walk out that door and go be someone. More Dr. Seuss than Nicki Minaj. Until next time, stay strong and keep the faith.
7: we're going to answer before uh, talking to our next guest. Yes.
1: Beverly has written in and said, my daughter has a four-year-old little boy who has autism. And as you know, it is rough as a parent. I don't know as a parent and grandparent how to help or what to say when my daughter has a meltdown. Hard because I want to help and cannot. And so I just wanted to talk about that just really briefly because I think that when there is a grandparent that's there and wants to help it's, it's one cool. of the most amazing things it's a that wonderful thing a
7: wonderful strength to have as a parent it to have a, a parent to help you
1: but i think what she has touched upon is that there are ways of helping and there's ways of not being helpful mm-hmm. right and one of the things um that can be helpful is to ask the question when the meltdown isn't happening, what do you need? Mm-hmm. What do you need? Because it's not one size fits all, but a lot of times what autism parents need is a break. Mm-hmm. And, but they need a break from a person who is trained in how to be with their child and to uphold the things that they have put in place. So I say to grandparents, learn. Learn as much as you can about the yeah.
7: therapy that the child is undergoing and that and means, how to be supportive of that.
1: That means coming to a session and mm-hmm. asking questions. That means asking, can I come to a clinic because I would like to learn how to do this? And humbling yourself because it is going to be a lot of stuff that is the complete opposite of what you were taught. Like, you know, my mother struggled with this, that, you know, she was like, well, he just did something that wasn't right. You need to rep, punish you need to him. get on that, right. reprimand that, punish him do whatever, and our team had told us that's not the way. Right.
7: Put it on extinction and ignore the behavior, perhaps. And like,
1: you know, don't attend to that behavior yeah. and give praise when they switch to doing something right. Right. It drove my mother absolutely bat poop. You know and what I've I'm saying? And I've had
7: family members you that know? just don't understand it. They're like, they're this like, is the opposite way that you what? should raise a child. But it's
1: a very specific thing because it doesn't mean, it doesn't actually mean ignore the child and it doesn't mean ignore everything. It means ignore, if, they're, if we've decided that something is happening to get attention to not give that thing attention Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it gets very confusing where people are like well he did something and so I'm ignoring it but if it wasn't for attention ignoring it is not the thing so you really have to go to clinic and ask questions and and get really specific for a period of time and say okay so which behavior like if we're doing something and he misbehaves and it's this particular kind of misbehavior, then that's the thing that we're going to make ourselves busy with something else. We're not going to say, hey, don't do that, because if what you wanted was attention, then, hey, don't do that, you got the attention, and you won, and you will continue doing that behavior. It's a little tough to learn, but I promise you that if you go and ask questions, you will learn it, and then you will be helpful mm -hmm, to your daughter. When she's in the meltdown, All you can do is hug her Mm -hmm. and say, I am here for you. You are not alone. And that, (sighs) when you had that, I I think we can both speak to on the moments where I was melting down and somebody said, you know, I'm here for you and you are not alone. I lost it a little extra, Mm -hmm. but then I was able to continue on and do my stuff.
7: So that's the biggest gift. Anyway, we wanted to just address that. Anything you want to add, Nancy? Nancy? No, I think it's just it's very hard sometimes for family members to understand how your program might work and that's when it's time to say come be a part of this, learn usually your team is yeah. very open to helping train family members yeah.
1: there, w- there, was a gr- I loved when parenthood was on um, because there was. A, they would have these little moments that would ha- happen that little light bulbs would go off all over the country but there was a scene where the granddad said I want to take him on the, the fishing trip that I've taken all the other grandchildren and the mom and dad were like I don't think it's a good idea <laughs> and he's like no I'm the granddad and he gets to go on the fishing trip. So he takes him on the fishing trip and he's calling dad and he's like, "I don't know what to do. He's freaking out." I don't know. and and he and dad said, "Well, what did you do?" And he said, "Well, I did this and I did this and I did this, and now I want him to do this and he won't do it." And dad very calmly says to him, well dad, it's like you gave him dessert before the meal. Mm -hmm. You didn't ask him to eat his carrots, you gave him dessert. Now you're gonna have to back it up, Mm -hmm. ask him to eat the carrots, but promise him he gets another dessert. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so fun the way he explained it. And dad was like, really? The granddad. And then he had a great fishing trip. Be, but that granddad was willing to learn. Be willing to learn the old way. And throw out
7: Doesn't the ways work. you're maybe Doesn't it work. misconceptions when it comes to autism. Yes,
1: absolutely. All right. Now, we got great guests. Okay. So we're taking yes. a break. Coming right back we'll with our great guests. Stick with us.
8: Love is a battlefield. Autism and PTSD for parents. It's a thing. I'm here to tell you, it's survivable. What you need to do is remember, this is not for the faint of heart. There's actually a study that was done on mothers of children with autism and it said, oh, this is very similar to PTSD among soldiers. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh, we needed a study for that. We already knew this. However, You gotta remember that stress is very important, not only because it's just stress that we're all dealing with, part of the modern day life, it can have serious effects. Not only does it affect your child, your spouse, other members of your family, it also affects your health. The stress is linked to immune system conditions, which can be creating conditions like risk for cancer, heart attack, stroke, anxiety, social isolation, which also depresses your immune system further, and even, girls listen to this, hair loss. How do we handle this kind of chronic battlefield condition? Well, we have to do what generals do. We get the troops together, we demand support, we push for what we need. So when you go into your meeting with the schools, be sure and you have people with you because it can be very difficult if you don't have someone with you to help you. Get letters from the doctors, get your evaluations, do what you need to do to get what you can for your child because that ends up making your stress less. Over the years, as you deal with this kind of stress, remember it can be your friend because it can tell you things need to change. It can also be your enemy because it can create a lot of bad conditions. The moral of the story is don't be too strong for too long.
7: We're back. we're back. we're back. Yes, welcome we're back. talking to our guests already. Uh, would, w- welcome back. So yeah. we want to
1: welcome via Skype and on the phone that we have Daniel Sharestrom and Maxine Share, and hopefully I've said your names right. Um, and we want to welcome you to the show. I am so excited because I have followed you guys for a while, and I'm a little bit starstruck having you on the <laughs> show with us, okay? I'm just going to admit to that. So... Um, but. Maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, what the, the both of you are, Maxine. You're a wonderful advocate, writer, consultant, workshop facilitator, and developer. You're a passionate champion of strengths and abilities for all people on the spectrum. And Daniel, I, I would prefer if you tell us a little bit about you. Sure,
10: so uh, I'm a, a motivational speaker and uh, we, we're in Ontario, those so you don't know. Uh, I'm a motivational speaker about what it's like to live on the spectrum. Uh, I'm on the spectrum myself. Um, I go around doing workshops, motivational speeches, uh, keynote speeches, different kinds of things, all in the name of advocating for better lives for people with autism.
7: And you both run the popular Facebook page Autism Goggles, is that correct? (laughs) And tell us about that.
10: So Autism goggles is a social initiative that that we started because we want to help people to see life through the autism lens, so to speak. So we we like it when people don't understand something or when they can't relate to why their loved one with autism um, is doing something or acts a certain way. We like them to think about it from that person's perspective
7: that you said when you're high functioning, society doesn't care about your needs. When you're low functioning, they don't care about your strengths. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: individual who would
1: Yes. Answer. So we thank you for it. And uh, you know, one of the things that you talk about is, is how ignorance uh, it can come to the detriment when dealing with coping behaviors. So let's talk a little bit about, about that and, and and what you mean by that. Sorry, I didn't hear
0: the first part of that,
1: Shannon. So uh, you talk about coping behaviors and how ignorance can get in the way of of people being able to use coping behaviors. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh,
0: Go ahead, first.
10: Yeah, so a lot of the time a common misconception about autism is that anxiety is a symptom. That's just not true. A lot of people with autism do have some kind of mental health challenge. Um, Your statistics vary, but.
0: And it's going to cause certain coping behaviors. So I, I think that um, I think that a lot of the time people try to address those behaviors rather than trying to get at the root cause. Would you say that's right? I, I do, and I I also think that you know autism really is just another way of being human. It is a different way of learning, a different way of experiencing. differences that are either the cause of their behaviors or emotional responses or are contributing to those and and we also know that autism is a social communication condition Adulthood—the
1: root of that starts with the school system, which I'm in such agreement. Uh, And this uh, uh, is—we're almost out of time, and so uh, we're going to have to cut it short. But this is why I'm huge fans of Mm -hmm. yours because you're so inspirational. And I think your message is uh, comes from uh, a place of truth, and it's honest in a way that I don't think a lot of other people get to. And hearing you speak—I've seen videos of you guys speaking oh my gosh, if you need a speaker to come to something, you two are powerhouses and you really uh, move your audiences because it's this kind of message. Well, let's
7: talk, let's talk about how people can reach you.
1: Yes, how can people get a hold of you and how can people see some of the videos of you speaking?
10: So you can, um, you can check us out at uh, Facebook on autism goggles. And you can also send us an email to autismdoggles at gmail.com.
7: Okay, great. So if they're interested in you for speaking engagements or for just finding out more about um, your philosophies, they can reach out to you those ways. Yeah, and if, uh, if you are interested in seeing some of the videos that we have done, uh, you can just uh,
10: put my name into YouTube. You'll see my TED Talk. You'll see uh, my address to the Center for Disease Control last year. Which made
1: me stand up in my living room, Daniel. I stood up. (laughs) Uh, So, and we'd love for you to come back again because this was not long enough. Would you be willing to do that? Sure.
0: Thank you. That would be awesome. Thank
1: you. Go ahead.
0: You know what? We, We have so many followers now. We've been doing this for so long. We read very dire stories every day. People who are really struggling and we have a lot of this in our, you know, friends and family, a lot of autism, and I, I don't know if I made it clear that I'm also on spectrum. And so we just, we really just want to stop the pain that the lack of understanding is causing. It's not the autism; it's the ignorance of autism.
7: And, Very and,
1: and good I, note to leave on. Exactly. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing and everything that you're saying. We are going to bring you back. Because there are so many thing questions I have, but thank you so much for being with us. We're out of time, you guys. We have uh, got a great show for you tomorrow. Please come back and see us tomorrow. Until then, give us, uh, your kiddos a hug for me. And yourself
7: a hug from me. Bye-bye for me. Bye bye. Bye bye for now. You guys.